Hello, my name's Russell Howcroft. I've lived a lot of lives. I've been an ad man, a CEO, a chair, an author, a panelist, and I currently co-host a radio show on 3AW. And I'm partner and chief creative officer at The Sayers Group. And I'm host of this podcast. Welcome to Conversations, a Sayers podcast. Throughout my time, I've learned that so much in life starts with, yep, a good conversation. And that's what we're going to do right here today. Okay, with me today for our Sayers conversation is Aaron Hornleman. Um, Aaron is an entrepreneur, a seriously good entrepreneur, and technologist. Aaron has been a driving force for some of the most notable innovations to self-service and automation. To date, more than 90 million people, 90 million people, have used systems and technologies developed under Aaron's leadership. Aaron co-founded Illenium in 2015 with the aim to take all the friction out of the airport passenger process while providing efficiency to airports. It is a grouse story, Aaron, and I'm so pleased you're in the studio today to have a chat to us and tell us all about you and Illenium. Thanks, Russ, for having me here. It, I don't think it's 90 million anymore. It's a quarter, uh, quarter of a billion. It's a quarter of a billion passengers. That's a, probably four years old now, 90 million. <laughs> Somebody get a better brief. <laughs> 250 million. Yep. Jeez, that's going well. Okay, so as you know, this podcast is called A Conversation. So we just want to do precisely that. So what we're going to do now is we're actually just going to run through a series of sound effects. Okay. And what I want you to do is literally just relax into this sound effect. So, Aaron, I'm giving you a choice of five places that I want you to transport yourself to. You could be by a fire, on the beach, in a bar, on a boat, or in the woods. Which of those would you prefer to um, spend the rest of the time imagining that you are experiencing? I think at the woods. Okay, let's go. We are going to be in the woods. What made you say the woods? I just moved out to the woods. <laughs> nice, did you? Yeah. So uh, a official tree change? Yeah, so I lived um, all my adult life in West Melbourne, so the suburb of West Melbourne, moved out to Mount Macedon about three weeks ago. Since, well, hang on, Mount Macedon, it's quite far. Now, Mount Macedon to the airport? 30 minutes. How many? 30 minutes. So that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Now, um, you are in the original, your original business... Was it immediately focused on technology into airports or was it something else? Uh, the very first proper business I had was, yeah, we were building Jetstar's automated boarding system. Why? Um, one of my uh, co-founders met the CIO of Jetstar at the time and they were talking about automated boarding barriers, those gates you walk through. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Tame, he was the CIO at the time, said, um, I'm more interested in working out how to board people using their mobile phone. Right, this was pre-QR yeah. codes and all that type of stuff. And uh, we came up with the idea of using SMSs to board the passenger. So we could actually read the first three lines of characters on the text mm -hmm. as if it was a barcode. And so it would work on any kind of phone, even those old black and white Nokias. Mm -hmm. So that was an incredibly simple solution. Yep. Uh, and <laughs> if, if... Go on. I was going to say, simple in the way it, 
the way it worked for a passenger, mm -hmm. difficult in that this was 2009 and we were using computer vision and machine learning to do it. So we were quite early on in that kind of wave. Okay, and so Jetstar was your first customer? Yep. And you, I think, went international quite quickly. Mostly with Jetstar. So we... Um, uh, we went with uh, in New Zealand and Japan, about 32 airports in total. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was during that experience that it became obvious that the whole aviation industry needed to be ruffled up a little bit, right? A lot of the experience at airports was very agricultural. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to make it as seamless as possible. And so then I founded another business, uh, Elenium, mm -hmm. and there we started off almost internationally from day one. So there's a term, uh, customer journey. Yep. Were you sort of early days of actually mapping out a customer journey and working out how to apply technology to it? So if you think about an airport going back a decade, you know, it hadn't really changed for quite some time. It was the same as when you went through flying Ansett. It was the same type of kiosks back then, right? Ten years later, Ansett didn't exist and nothing had really changed. And so we were looking at how we could use technologies like your mobile phone, uh, use cameras, use microphones, all those type of things to try and make it as seamless as possible. So in the world of um, airport technology for customers, where do you rank? Oh, well, if you ask me, rank on the top. Um, where do we rank? I think in terms of innovation and being disruptive into the industry, we're right up there. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of our size, right, we're only five years old and we're going up against companies that have been in it for decades and decades. Mm -hmm. So, right, we're currently in 21 airports there's probably four or five hundred globally that uh, are big enough to support the type of technology we um, we develop. So okay, so four or five hundred. So you've got a lot of upside. A lot of upside. That is sensational. Now tell me, um, competitors, uh, GE. No, so the type of competitors we're up against are ones that you know the average punter probably hasn't heard of mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Companies like CETA. Um, companies like um, Materna, you know, are still, you know, they're not necessarily the biggest organisations in the world, so they're not like your IBMs of the world, etc. But um, still larger than us. Okay, and they, like you, have concentrated on a vertical. It's like we're just in the airport business, or is there is there a greater application for what you do? Um, and for so, do you sort of, I suppose, do you do you learn from each other? Do you watch them? You think, hang on a sec. A little bit. Most of our competitors are system integrators. So they take a lot of off-the-shelf components, put it together, and they've got a box. Versus we like to actually do real research and development and build new technologies and try building new sensors and new applications. And, you know, I think COVID has taught us uh, almost in an accelerated path that actually this technology is applicable way beyond the airport, and that's really where we're starting to turn our focus to as well. Okay, so t just explain to us what you mean by that. So the technology that I might experience at an airport... Um, why would I experience that in some other environment? So you think about technologies like facial recognition, biometrics, um, the ability to do uh, uh, understand the context of a person's data and check them into a place quickly. I think COVID added all this complication back into our life. It added a lot of friction. All of a sudden we're doing QR code check-in, we're checking vaccine passes, uh, we might be doing rapid antigen tests. There's all this friction. And so taking the technology that we developed for Airports, which is massively scalable, right? If it's in an airport, it has to be in quite a complex and mm -hmm. robust environment. And we're saying, well, we can actually put it into offices and put it into gyms and put it into aged care centres and add that simplicity back into our life without necessarily ripping out this new higher-order compliance that we need to keep ourselves safe. Man, okay. So I want to keep going on the airports for a bit. Sure. So give us your 
your gold standard uh, tech, uh, where is it and what does it do? So it's interesting. I don't think there is an airport that really has the full gold standard installation yet, right? There's a lot of kind of a quilt workers, you know, some airports that have the immigration that's good. You've got some that got the boarding that's good. No one's really got that end-to-end journey right yet. Mm-hmm. Um, if I imagine that end-to-end journey, I want to wake up in the morning before my flight. I'm taking a selfie and checking myself in, right? So make it nice and simple. Uh, catch an Uber, get to the airport, walk off uh, up to a bag, drop drop off my bag. I don't have to worry about bag tags. I don't need to worry about fumbling with anything. It just goes, go through security. Don't need to talk to anyone. It's nice and seamless. Mm-hmm. Go into the lounge. I don't need to show my boarding pass. Just recognizes me, lets me in, lets me relax. Get told on my app when the when the flight's ready, and then board the flight. That whole thing never really has to have this stop start motion that we're used to today. Right? Jeez, okay. Now, presumably, you can only do that because um, of face re- face recognition technology. Yeah, that's one of the methods. So we think facial recognition is probably the most broadly adaptable biometrics that's out there. I want you to sell me face face recognition technology because I think that what some people well, they'll immediately go to a dystopian place. They'll immediately go to a place where it might be scary. It mightn't feel right. It might feel, yet again, my life has been tracked. Sure. So sell it to me. So firstly, I'd say it has to be consent-based. You have to decide to use it, right? And so an airport can't just employ biometrics and say, if you don't want to use the biometrics, now you can't fly. Right. I can still use my normal QR code or paper boarding pass if I want to, right? Mm -hmm. So it has to be Mm opt-in. The next thing is it has to be trust with the biometric platform. So you need to know what we're going to do with the data. And in the context of an airport, it might be actually we're only going to save it for that one day and then once your journey is done, you've deleted it. And only at your choice can you say, actually, I'd like you to keep it for my next journey. But that face recognition capability, that must be very exciting to people beyond the airport. Absolutely. Right. So, so, so the contract might well be, okay, I'm going to delete that after a day, but I'm wondering whether there might be other forces afoot that actually want to hold on to the data. Yeah, and so if, if I think about Elenium and our Faceway product, you know, we have to create some of these kind of internally binding principles of what, what we're going to do. So mm. we're absolutely not going to use it with high school students or um, uh, school students at all. Uh, that whole thing around consent is important. We're not going to give it to government for surveillance. We, when we say we delete your data, we actually delete your data. Right. Um, we don't store your photo. And so when we enrol your biometrics, we turn it into a token. And the only way Elenium itself can actually work out whose data that is is by the person standing in front of the device. Right. So there's no kind of back door for us to go in and say, all right, let me have a look at Russ's details mm-hmm. and try and uh, unravel his biometrics. Okay. So uh, that's starting to sound convincing. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so now, okay, so you mentioned Faceway. Yep. Um, I also want, wanted to talk to you about HealthGate. Yep. Because HealthGate wasn't just about face. That was temperature? It was temperature. Yeah. So we were the first um, organisation to have a uh, automated fever detection device approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration um, and it also the first to be approved in the European Union. And so, as you can imagine, during the height of COVID, everyone was trying to work out what's the best way to do health screening so people can go back to the work, so people can go back to the factory, etc. And so HealthGate was one of those solutions, and over time it's evolved. So now we also uh, support rapid antigen testing with it, so it'll use a mix of biometrics and temperature to be able to work out 
you know, um, whether you've had a test in the last 24 hours and whether you are okay to go into the workplace. I like this. I, I, I love, well, I love calling them rats for one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the rat, um, explain to me again. So, okay, I'm just going, I'm thinking through my work day. So in the morning, I'll do a rat. Yep. Uh, and then that rat, rat somehow will be connected to what my mobile, as in the result. Yep. And then when I walk into my office, it connects me to the rat, to my temperature, and the doors open. That's right. It's that simple. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. So that exists. That exists. Can you see that being taken up, you know, en masse? Uh, look, I think rapid engine testing is starting to now, right? In New Zealand, uh, even if you go to a corporate office, they're now saying you have to have a rat. Right. So you can't even get through the front door. Can't even get through the front door. Oh, my goodness. So when I think about rats, um, they need to come down in price. They're way too expensive. Yeah, and I also think the, the actual biggest problem is the administration and overhead of them. It's okay. almost more expensive than the test itself, right? And so you think about it, uh, you do your test in the morning mm. and then you've got to go to the office and somebody's got to actually look at it and go, yep, you're good, or you know, there needs to be a security guard or even a medical professional there with the whole process. And so by tying it with biometrics, you eliminate that overhead and you actually uh, eliminate that hidden cost that might uh, be there. Okay, I understand. Okay, so... Let's just talk about the future, right? So let's just... It's five years' time. Um, the metaverse. <laughs> tell us about that. And does that involve Elenium? Uh, you know what? I don't think the metaverse is yet properly explained to all of us and what they're really thinking about. It's, you know, this kind of virtual place, maybe in the real world, not in the real world. When I think about Elenium's place in it, what we're trying to do is bring your digital identity into the real world. Okay. That's what we're trying to do. Okay, so explain that more. You're, so you're, you're trying to bring my digital identity into the real world. Yep. I need that to, I need you to help me. What does that mean? So you go to Facebook, you go to a website and you need to log in, you use your Google account or your Facebook account. That's your digital identity that you're, you know, you're sharing in amongst the different services you use. Mm -hmm. Really difficult to do that in the real world where we don't necessarily have the ability or want to enter in my email and password every place I'm going to. Uh, with biometrics, we can automatically do that. And so if you think about creating things like a, a, a vault with your credit card and your PayPal um, details and your other financial services, you could actually use that in a brick-and-mortar store mm -hmm. and have more of a digital experience but actually in the real world. Will I be able to pay with my face? Yes. Um, do you think people will like to pay with their face? Uh, I think it's extremely convenient. I mean, in our labs, we're playing with that all the time mm. and it's just really easy. So think about going into a sporting stadium and, you know, you, it's the half time and you want to uh, get your beer and your sausage roll and your hands are full. You just look to pay. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty good. Sounds expensive. That sounds pretty good. Mikey. I won't have to have a Mikey card. No. But then, okay, so let's say my Mikey is my face. Yep. Um, I'm going to have to have a methodology to put money on my face. Yeah, so you just effectively tied to a credit card or a debit card or some sort of financial service that you might uh, have. Okay, so is anyone doing this? So we've started to see bits and pieces of this happening overseas, not so much in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, we've started to see it in uh, California. There's a restaurant. There's a restaurant that's got a thousand outlets that uh, uh, have got biometrics that you can pay with. Um, the problem with, that we see with the systems are that they're firewalled in that it might only work with that 
restaurant, uh-huh, yeah. right? Versus we're building something that is massively scalable, right? So we've designed it so every adult in Australia can use it and be a member. Um, and so whether you're going to that restaurant or you're going to the gym or you're going to the football, you're using Faceaway and it just gives you that seamless experience. Will I be able to vote with my face? That's an interesting one. I got mm. asked that today. <laughs> I think I think that's one where we actually start to say that's getting too close to no longer being about convenience and actually something that's starting to get dangerous, right? right. We have to have that kind of mature discussion of where biometrics make sense mm-hmm. and where it doesn't. I think voting is starting to get over the line. Okay. All right. So Elenium in well, the here and now, 21 airports. Am I right in saying that you've had more you've had more success overseas than you've had in the Australian airport market? Uh, only because there's more airports overseas. Yeah. Uh, so are you in every airport in Australia? We're not in every airport, but we're starting to build our footprint. So we're in um, Sydney, mm-hmm. we're in Avalon, we're currently deploying into Mackay and um, Darwin. Mm. Uh, we're also, from a New Zealand perspective, in Queenstown and um, Auckland, right? So uh, we're starting to spread our wings here like Sen- Sensational. Uh, and who, are, who do you look for when, when you're selling? So when you're going in with your technology, and, y- you know, we all do this. We, we assess the person that we're about to sell to. So what makes a really good buyer of Elenium? Somebody that wants to think really differently about the customer experience and trying to make it as easy as possible. Um, it's interesting that the kind of targets within these organisations for us, there's multiple there's the operational person because we want to make sure they're convinced that this is going to help them from an operational perspective. Then there's a customer experience person that wants to know that their customer is going to have a better experience and they're going to have a better proposition. Yep. Then quite often there's the C-level that obviously care about the cost but also quite often want to think about their legacy and want to see themselves as being you know, a, if, uh, leaning forward mm-hmm. in technology. And you know, there's a lot of competition in the airports around what's the best airport. There's Changi Airport, there's Doha, there's um, Abu Dhabi. And so there's a lot of this competition about trying to be the so, best. So who is the best then and from a technology point of view, from a customer journey tech? Uh, there's a few, right? So uh, Changi in Singapore clearly is really good. Um, uh, so is uh, uh, Abu Dhabi and, and as well as Dubai and Doha. The Middle Eastern airports, mm. they punch above their weight. So um, I'm pretty certain you showed me some technology whereby I could use my face in order to redeem some po- some points. Yep. <laughs> I like it. Are you doing that anywhere? Uh, not yet, but it's uh, what I was showing you there was the Faceway technology. And rather than being linked to your credit card, it was linked to your airline loyalty rewards. Mm-hmm. And so it was this idea of doing um, shopping at the, in the lounge, if you remember, and you could select whatever it was. And then when it came to pay, again, you just kind of looked at pay and you chose your loyalty points and off it went. Unreal. So product lines. So Elenium, um, we've talked about Healthgate. Yep. Uh, we've talked about Faceway. Yep. What else you got? So the airport products are called Voyager. So we've got three products essentially, right? Uh, Voyager, which is your end-to-end passenger experience at an airport. Um, Faceway, which is your uh, facial biometrics around mobility and access. Mm-hmm. And then Healthgate, which is really an addition to Faceway, which includes your temperature and the integration of the rapid antigen testing. So uh, I want to talk to, about, talk to you about like a bigger picture, sure. the, the bigger future. So if, um, if I was a teenager, what would you suggest that I should concentrate in my sort of my studies, my direction? Where do you think um, I'm going to be the most prosperous? Critical thinking. Critical thinking. So can help me with that. Well, I mean, 
you know, you can become a software developer, you can become a mathematician, an engineer, you can become somebody who's involved in the arts, etc. But I think in this day and age, what's most important is being able to distill fact from fiction. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about NFTs. Are you getting involved? I haven't really yet. Mm-hmm. Right? It's almost kind of like blockchain as well. So at times I feel like it's, well, blockchain in particular is a solution trying to find a problem. I right. think people are starting to understand it more and more and so that, that those problems are starting to present themselves with real application. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, NFTs, it's an interesting one. I mean, for me, it's a little bit hard to grasp this idea of something that's got real intrinsic value that's not physically there, mm. right? I know I know there is a value and I know, you know, we all got to go for the journey. But <laughs> yeah. When you yeah. can't touch and feel something. Maybe, does that sound strange if I'm a technologist and I go, I like to touch and feel things? I like it. I like yeah. that you've got that in you, Aaron, I have to tell you. So... That's why I'm I want to bring the digital world into the real world. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was just thinking about uh, air travel. Yep. So where are we now in Australia? So it is um, early December 2021. So where are we in in terms of, like, uh, as a percentage of travel compared to 2019. So we're 20% travel? Oh, it depends, right. Um, you know, when we've uh, opened up again, we've got uh, – some of the airports have gotten above pre-pandemic levels. Really? Yeah. Okay, so my next question, I think you may well have answered it. Um, I was wondering whether 2019 may have been peak travel. It depends. I think domestically we'll see that rebound really quickly, mm-hmm. and that's going to be – bigger than pre-COVID numbers. Right? Really? Yeah, and, and, and for us, we're really lucky for Alenium because, um, you know, our backyard is in the top 10 business domestic markets in the world. Well, they... Okay, so the Melbourne-Sydney... The Melbourne-Sydney route is often said to be third busiest. Yeah, I mean, Australia as a whole is yeah. top 10, but yeah. No, I know, so Australia yeah. as a whole is top 10, but I just want to... I mean, given you're in the air... Given that you're in the air business, I thought you might actually clarify for everyone, once and for all... Uh, what number tr- route in the world is Melbourne Sydney? I don't know the exact number, but I, I've heard that it's in the top three as well. <laughs> Aaron, it's top three. I'm pretty certain it's top three. Interesting. Depends how you measure it, I guess. Uh, no, it's frequency of it's frequency of flights. The uh, as opposed to number of passengers. As opposed to number of yeah. passengers. I think I'm right that the number one and number two are both in South Korea. Okay. Yeah. So internal South Korean flights. Well, I know in Japan, for example, they used to fly. Full seven four sevens of people going domestically. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. I love getting on the Airbus. You know the Qantas Airbus. What's that? An A three twenty? A three eighty. No, no. The A three, the domestic, the one that they use domestically, not the A three eighty. Yeah, you know Sydney Melbourne, and you get on that massive Airbus. Oh, there's the A three thirty. A three thirty must be. Oh my god, that's absolutely beautiful. I actually miss it. I miss flying as well. You know, I mean, I can hardly wait to get back on it. I, I don't watch as many movies as I used to. I used to be on the plane and just watch movies. That that has become a serious issue for me because that is precisely where I would, well, catch up with what everyone else had been watching. You know, it was that was the core place that I found it, my entertainment. I know, it's an absolute disaster. So let's go back to the woods. So tell us a little uh, about your new pad. Oh, it's it's magnificent, right? Um, like I said, I've always been a silly do- city dweller, mm-hmm. and now to be out in amongst the bush, mm. um, wake up every morning and seeing kangaroos, <laughs> right? That's a real novelty that I st- still hasn't worn out, right? Uh, I know some people say they're pests, but I just love it. it we've had 
uh, a few friends over who originally came from overseas and they said, you're actually like a stereotype of Australia, right? You've got kangaroos in your backyard. Yeah, awesome. Yep. And are you commuting or yep. you are commuting? And that's the half-hour commute as you were talking. Yeah, to my office probably 35 to 40 minutes, yeah. which direction. Okay. And um, you think you'll be there for a long time? I think so. And Illenium, do you think Illenium will be around for a long time? Absolutely. That's good to hear. Great to chat to you, Aaron. Thank you very much. Good man. Thanks, Russ.